0: Hello, this is Kalia in 2020. What you are about to hear is the remastered version of the episode that you clicked on. Why? Well, it turns out that when I started this podcast, I got some incorrect information regarding copyright law and fair use policy. After nearly two years of making content, this oversight was brought to my attention. There was mild panic, lots of guilt, and then a few fervent nights doing research. It seems we might exist in this grey, nebulous area of fair use for critique and commentary, and thus our use of a teeny tiny bit of the music from the soundtracks of the movies that we are critiquing and commenting on might be allowable. But then again, it might not. So a few things. One, I don't want to be a jerk, even accidentally. Two, I think it's important to acknowledge when you mess up. But three, and this is key, I think acknowledging your mess up isn't enough. You have to rectify the situation if possible. And guess what? It's totally possible to go back into these old episodes and clip out the maybe legal, maybe just slightly crappy bit of audio and replace it with a bit of music created just for me by the same composer and performer who made us our theme music. Which is what I'm going to do. And since I can't help but tinker just a smidge, I might clean up a teeny tiny bit of audio noise while I'm in there. I mean... I've learned a lot over the last two years, and who knows, you might be stumbling upon this podcast feed years from now, so why should your present-day ears be punished, because way back in time, I hadn't yet found the noise reduction button. Anyway, without further ado, here is the podcast you came here for, just slightly better. Thanks for listening.
1: It's the Pages of Popcorns podcast. Jennifer and Kelly will edit the pages and popcorn podcast jennifer and kelly are gonna talk so you better damn well listen
0: hello and welcome to pages and popcorn podcast the podcast where two book nerds talk about movies that were based on books as well as the original source
1: material We will answer questions like how are these two interpretations the same, how they are different, and are they even worth your time? But before we discuss today's book and movie combo, we have a few announcements. First off, we want to remind you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Pages and Popcorn Podcast. We also
0: want to let you know that you are welcome to email us at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your thoughts, your disagreements, and your own answer to the was it worth your time question. We will be
1: doing a special mailbag episode later in the year. We might just feature your email. You can listen to our shows on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify, and we would love some reviews and ratings. That is really helpful to getting new listeners. And of course, you can always listen to us directly on our website, popcornpodcast.com. The website also has our blog where we give episode notes, links, and information about upcoming titles so you can read and watch along with us if you're so inclined.
0: Lastly, we're going to be setting up a Patreon account so that you can support us, and we will be selling some merch. We have a few ideas for merchandise, but we want to hear from you. Would you actually buy a pair of boxers that reference Chekhov's boner? how about a t-shirt that says fuck you magical thing or better yet stop monologuing how about a bumper sticker that reminds people to stay in their lanes or they're going to get hit by a car well in case none of that made sense we are of course referring to some of our most loved and most quoted back to us lines from our earlier podcast episodes anyway the store is a work in progress and we really want your feedback and now on with the show Today we're going to discuss Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg, which was published in 1987, and the movie Fried Green Tomatoes, which was released in 1991. Fanny Flagg wrote the screenplay for the movie, and the main beats of the plot are the same, so instead of doing two recaps, I'm going to break it down by big plot points and go from there. So here's our recap. In both the book and the movie, the story weaves together the past in the 19 teens through the 1950s with the present, which is in the, in the book, the mid to late 80s. So in the past story, we have the Threadgood family. It's a big family, lots of kids. Main kids for our purposes are Buddy, the charismatic flirt, and the tomboy little sister, Iggy. There's a bunch of other kids, but these are the ones that kind of matter the most. Buddy is killed by a train. Iggy is heartbroken. She starts her life of rambling and drinking and being as quintessential butch as she can possibly be in Alabama in the 19-teens. The family has black servants, most notably Sipsy and her son, Big George. Enter Ruth, a Sunday school teacher who Iggy falls in love with. The book and movie treat this courtship and I'm being a big-ass hand-quotes around the word courtship differently. Suffice it to say, Ruth leaves to go marry her fiancé, Frank Bennett, in Georgia, and Iggy is crestfallen. Turns out, Frank is an asshole who beats his wife, along with other things, and when Iggy finds out, she and her brother Julian and Big George go to Georgia and rescue Ruth. They bring her home to Whistle Stop, and she and Iggy open up a cafe together. Soon after, Ruth has a baby boy who loses his arm at age 5 by way of a train. The kid is then called Stump. We get a lot of great stories about how Iggy is tough, funny, kick-ass, and bit of a scamp. She likes to bug the preacher, she causes mischief, but her heart is hard of gold, and she's well-loved by everyone. The cafe does great In part through Big George's Barbecue, even though it is the time of the Great Depression. Ruth and Iggy are always nice to bums and hobos, and also very kind to the black population of Whistlestop and Troutville, which is the colored town across the tracks. Despite getting guff from Klan members, including Iggy's poker pal, the sheriff, and Klansman himself, Grady, they still serve the black population at the back door and even charge them less for the food. Speaking of the Klan, Georgia Klan guys show up to harass them, but it's really a ploy for Frank to see Ruth and his son. Then Frank goes missing. Dun dun dun. The investigation centers around the cafe, but there's no body and there's no truck, and so it makes it a cold case. Now there's a big difference in terms of the chronological order of things, but in both versions, Ruth dies of cancer and Frank's truck is found, leading to Iggy and Big George getting arrested for Frank's murder. There's a trial, though found innocent due in major part to the whistle stop preacher who lies on the stand to give them airtight alibis. Turns out that Sipsy, one of their black servants, killed Frank when he was trying to steal the baby, and Iggy and Big George covered up the murder by boiling the body and feeding Frank as barbecue at the cafe to the investigators. Otherwise known as Long Pig. Ugh. All the various children grow up and move away. The old folks die. The train stop running. The town pretty much dries up. Okay, so that's all shown and told to us through the use of the framing device, which is the other story in this. This is Nini Threadgood, who was an adopted daughter into the Threadgood family. She married one of the brothers. Now she's an old lady, and it's 1986, and she's telling her stories to Evelyn Couch in a nursing home. Evelyn is middle-aged, she's fat, and she's depressed, but through listening to the stories that Nini tells, Evelyn starts to examine her own life and her own choices, and she has several epiphanies about where she is, how she fits in the world, and what she really wants out of life. Eventually, she loses weight, gets a job selling Mary Kay, gains a shit-ton of self-confidence, finds her voice, becomes a much happier person. The ending is, it's a big change, so we're going to leave it alone for now. That is my recap. So before we talk about um, the unimportant changes, and then the big-ass important changes, and then the ending, and then the themes, and oh my god, there's a big gay theme that we're going to talk about. Before we talk about all that, how did you come to this book and movie, Jennifer?
1: I watched the movie back when it came out. It was kind of the standard chick fil at the time. I went to go see it with my mom. It was very beloved. I think it was a Christmas film. A lot of people saw it, and I didn't even realize it was based on a book at the time. And then we read the book for our book club. Yes, several years ago. That is true. I had actually completely forgotten that we'd read it for book club. And so that throws off
0: my whole little how I came to this thing. Um, but let me see if I can remember. So I think I saw bits and pieces of the movie in the 90s, but I was aware of it. I knew about the special sauce aspect that became kind of part of pop culture. So, you know, and then I saw the whole thing at one point. And I remember at the time thinking, wait, are those lesbians? Because that kind of maybe seemed like lesbians, but maybe they're not lesbians. Anyways,
1: I, I was, the movie seemed fine. It seemed well enough. It was about women. Women, cool, maybe lesbian, huh? But you knew that there was something going on before you actually saw the film. You said you sort of knew there was a secret sauce.
0: I knew about that they had eaten a person. Oh, okay.
1: That. That that secret sauce. Okay, not the other secret sauce. Wow, wow, <laughs> wow, wow, wow.
0: Okay. Uh, yes, I knew about them eating somebody, but I and I didn't really know much else about it. And so mm-hmm. I saw the movie. I I thought maybe this is coded, maybe it's not. I'm not sure. We read the book in book club. I I didn't remember that that's where I'd read it, but I know I had read it. And I was like, holy crap! There's a lot of gayness. This is super gay. This book is gay. This is lesbian, gay, 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 gay. gay. Hooray for the gay! Wow, I'm not remembering the movie quite right. Maybe I'm misremembering the movie, but. But it turns out now that I have once again read the book, hooray for gay, and seen the movie. I, I wasn't missing that much. I, yeah, and we will definitely get to what what I think about the movie and uh, versus the book. But yeah, so kind of knowing about it, coming to it a few times, and this time really going into the deep dive of what the themes are. I'm I'm gonna skip to the end real quick. Totally glad that we're doing this book and movie combo. So okay, the movie did come out in 1991, so not that long after the book came out, and I thought it was interesting that the director really liked the book. He wanted to make this movie. Uh, he had Fanny Flagg write some of the screenplay, but then she found it too difficult to convert, and I think that that makes sense. The book is so much more expansive than the movie. Yeah. So many side characters, such a, a great sense of time and place. Anyways, but she made progress. I think the thing I read online said 70 pages, and then he kind of took over. The casting, I think, was amazing. In some cases, I really love Kathy Bates is Evelyn Couch. I really love Mary Stuart Masterson. I have opinions about Mary Louise uh, Parker, but we can talk about that. And Jessica Tandy, of course, was like the quintessential old lady in the eighties, <laughs> so of course she was in this movie. I, uh, in my notes, I put my understandable differences. They matter, and in especially in what we're doing here in this podcast. But ultimately, I don't think that they had a lot of import. And then I had the big, important differences. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so some of my understandable changes, unimportant differences, whereas the that Dot Weems is in the book. She is a character that we're not—we don't really see, but we hear. She's the postmistress of the little town, and she writes a little weekly bulletin. And this is how a lot of the story is told, basically through a townsperson's interaction with the main characters. It, again, uh,
1: it's the Greek chorus, kind of there. It's not like a lot, but it gives a lot of flavor and character and humanism, and, and it's very funny. She's got these funny little stories about her husband and oh, my other half. Yeah. yeah. It's very Garrison keeler. It is. It is very
0: Garrison. And it, a flavor, I think, is a really good way to put it. It, yeah. it, it. So
1: it doesn't go through huge plots, but it's, oh, look at how fun our town is. Right. And it references things, and it adds to the cultural
0: context of the town. When she says things like, Ruth and Iggy's boy, and it, it, it sets in this percent, you know, this understanding of how this world works, yeah. you know? Um, the Dill Pickle Club did this and that and the other thing, you know? And so we, we understand the town through the townspeople in a way we wouldn't get just by as an outsider seeing it or yeah, having so an outsider tell us about it specifically, this her words were written for the people in the town, mm-hmm. and it gives such an interesting window to the town for those of us not in the town. I loved, I loved that narrative device.
1: It adds flavor. It's this cute little introduction to the chapters of. Okay, this is the time and place, and this is the mentality of it all. It's really adorable. It's not like your typical you know mean gossip, right? It's all just very humorous and lighthearted. Most of this town
0: was very ideal. I mean, you know, it was. It was, yeah, even
1: it when was, her husband's getting into trouble, of, oh my god, our car's wrecked. Yes. But, so oh, if you see me walking... That's why! It's <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> very rose-tinted view of the town in some respects, which I think is a broader theme for the whole book. I, I really liked little Dot Weems. and, and Yeah, Dot Weems is cute. Uh, there's the elephant. Yes, the elephant. So one of the stories that obviously didn't make it to film about how... and it, It's definitely there to show us that Iggy is not racist, and that iggy loves people and takes care of people, and It's Big George's daughter is sick. She won't eat and she wants to see an elephant, and so Iggy goes a couple towns over, plays poker all night with, you know, because that's what she does, and convinces the guy with the elephant. He basically loses big time, and she convinces him to show up into whistle-stop it with the elephant. It
1: is a tiny little story, but it's, it's to me, like dark waves of just a little bit of extra here's a thing that happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I understand why it wasn't in the film, but yeah. I loved it. It was so wonderfully Iggy, you know, going mm. off and having this adventure that mostly happens off-scene. We don't see the, the, the trip and the Poker game and whatever, we just see the results as the town would of her coming back with the elephant to to help this little girl feel better. And it's just it's just adorable. Yeah, so, it, yeah. It, it, it's whimsy and it's it's very magical. Yes. Another uh, thing that the book had that the movie really didn't was all the stories about where all the kids ended up and who went where and did what and got married, and and, and again, this makes sense that you wouldn't have this in the movie because the movie is is condensed. It yes. is, it's it, and one of the things that books do really well that movies can't always is a sense of time and a a lot of the characters grow up. There's generations that happen. And mm-hmm. I really liked knowing about all of these different characters and what happened to them. I understand why it wasn't in the movie. It wouldn't have worked, especially since the focus of the movie was really about these women and not as much about the town and this time of – the period of life. The book was definitely more about the town, the period of life, all of that stuff with showcased through the characters, and the movie was much more about the characters. Yeah, so a little thing. It was interesting to see where they ended mm-hmm. up and, and all that kind of stuff. Stump and Yeah, so this kind of gets into a big change. In the from the book to the movie. In the book, you have Iggy is older when she meets Ruth. Okay. Actually, no, let me back up. Buddy loves Eva. Eva is amazing. Eva is this woman who sleeps with who she wants to sleep with. Maybe she gets ma- paid for it. We don't really know. She lives down by the river. She runs this gambling, you know, place. Uh, there's, there's booze. There's stuff. It's, it's, it's that kind of roadhouse place down there. But Eva, she has autonomy. She's really cool. Okay. And Buddy loves her. So he's the charismatic flirt in the family. He flirts with everybody. All the women in town think he's great. The bee's knees. But he, he really loves Eva. He, he does. Okay. So then he dies. And it's very sad. And Iggy and Eva. Have a thing, and they're together. And Eva knows a lot about love, and she knows how to give love. And so she and Iggy are an item for a while, mm-hmm. like a significant portion of time. Okay, okay. So hooray Friends for Eva! Benefits, Friends with of, benefits, yeah. you know, it's definitely not a big love story. It's just no, no, no. It's just Iggy needs that, and she goes, and she's there. She lives with Eva for a long mm-hmm. time. They stay in good contact when when that ends. Eventually, Ruth comes to town. Iggy and, and Ruth, yada yada. There's a lot of differences that happen too, but one thing is, eventually, Stump grows up. And he is a teenager, and he's having issues because he has one arm, and he's embarrassed about maybe having sex, and he's worried he'll fall on the girl, and he's worried that she'll laugh at him, and all of this stuff. And so Iggy's response is to take him to Eva, so that Eva can pop his little cherry and teach him how to have the sex. And <laughs> it's incestuous and weird, and I'm so here for Eva!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy that there's no slut shaming. No slut shaming! And that was really refreshing. Eva was great! Yeah, oh, she sleeps 71 but but, hey, she's got a lot of love to give and that's all that's really said about that. There's yes. no she's not a negative character, she's just a positive, sexual, free woman. Again, with this this town being the very
0: idealized, rosy tinted glasses version yeah, of a Southern imagine, town. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a real Southern town going, "Oh,
0: yeah, oh, whatever. Well, it's fine with her. It's Eva, man. We all know. Everybody loves Eva. Yeah. Yep, the redheaded one. The redhead. Of course she's the redheaded one. <laughs> so there's some other uh, big changes with Eva that we'll get to in a minute. But a couple of the other um, unimportant things. We had the whole tapestry of Birmingham and, and the racism. Now, of course, there was racism in the, in the movie. But it was so much clearer and well-developed in the book. Mm-hmm. And again, that sense of time and place. And the way that Birmingham was described. And we got some historical notes about how it was like on the upswing, and then it was on the downswing, and and just fascinating little bits of history that, of course, the movie couldn't do. But it it was slightly disappointing. So I can't say enough good things about how well this book did about time and place and getting that sense of that. So
1: there's a lot of rose. – we'll get into this a little bit later, but the rose-colored glasses don't – To completely cover up everything that's really subversive about the time. That is true. Very true.
0: Okay, so then a little change. Stump was a great football player and a hunter in the book. And in the movie, he kind of was into baseball. But again, a a pretty big change, actually. In the movie, he wasn't allowed to grow up. They compressed. Everything happened in the same six freaking months. And so Stump was still a very young child when the trial and his mom dying and all of that stuff. In the book, because we could go with more time, Stump grew up. I loved watching him grow up. I love that he became this great hunter, even with one arm, and a great football player, even with one arm. And he, you know, moved on and was able to I I love that. I love that we have a character with a disability who's not treated as, you know, disability porn or, you know, like anything like that. And Iggy is just very straightforward and she's like, we're going to call you Stump because Everyone else is going to call you Stump, so just own it and do that. And I just I loved that. Idgie was great with that. So, anyways, Stump and Stump being Ruth and Idgie's boy seen by the town. In the movie, I didn't kind of get that sense in the same way that I probably partly because we didn't have Dot Weems literally saying Stump was Ruth and Iggy's boy. Like the town just accepted that
1: Stump belonged to both. Yeah, there's not them. a lot of development when Stump is a young boy. Yeah, at that point, he's just like the young boy, and he's stump. and then we're moving on with With the the other stuff. Because there's a lot lot. going on.
0: There is, there is, but wish we could have had more stump.
1: Ha! I'm sure he wished that, too. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The best scene in the movie, by the way, is not in the book, and the best scene for me was Evelyn Couch on her trampoline sassing her husband at the point where she starts to care more. In the
1: name of love. love jump jump before you break my heart jump 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 and i love the little springs as she's oh my gosh it is it is
0: super cute and she's she's getting to this point where she's owning herself and she's taking care of herself and her husband's like looking at the food the healthy food he's like what are you doing trying to kill me oh if i wanted to kill you i'd use my hands jump, jump, jump on her <laughs> little trampoline. Oh my god. The movie was so 80s in some respects and, and that was definitely... Yeah, Evelyn there were like on, warmers. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, there were. So great. So anyways, that wasn't in the book. It made sense that it wasn't in the book because there's a lot of other really great scenes in the book with Evelyn, but I just have to say
1: that that was my favorite scene in the movie. And the so, most people attach to is when she rams her car into the other one.
0: Yes, that is a great scene as well. And that happened in both the book and the movie. It is probably one of the ones that has been... Most widely, I mean, I see that gif a lot, you know, yeah. and um, the the young girls take her parking space. Oh, you know, tra- whatever, lady, we're younger and faster than you, and so she rams them with her car. I'm older, I have more insurance, and you know, that's great. It's great, women empowerment. But I think it's so overplayed. That's why the trampoline scene it's a little bit fresher. It is. It is exactly. I haven't seen it a zillion times, and also it's a woman sassing a man as opposed to a woman being... sassing other women. Well, well, first mm-hmm. off, you have the young women being total bitches to her. Yeah no reason, which I don't like. I don't like when any woman's going to be mean to
1: another woman for no reason. It seems like the younger generation was just portrayed as assholes. Yeah. Yeah. There's the young kid with the mullet. Grr. Um,
0: (laughs) But then, you know, and so then she she does damage to this car and I'm thinking, okay, like that's okay. No, I, I definitely prefer her on a trampoline, providing healthy food for her husband and a healthy dose of sass also in the book there's this great thing where it says you know as she's starting as Evelyn is starting her metamorphosis into her new version of herself um, she's getting healthier and she had an orgasm that practically sent her husband into the emergency room he was so surprised and then he started exercising too and I was just like that's great the power of orgasms the power of orgasms it is mighty they are mighty yes okay but let's talk about some of those more important differences between the book and the movie so one of the main things that's stuck with me early on was why Ruth was even there coupled with Iggy's age when they first meet coupled with the fact that Buddy was with Ruth okay so in the movie Buddy is alive Ruth shows up Buddy and Ruth have this this moment they're all flirty there's a kiss behind a parasol or whatever then he dies Ruth and Iggy watch
1: him die. Iggy
0: was a freaking child when yeah. she met Ruth. Yeah, right. she's like
1: six almost. She's okay, really so young. I was Five
0: giving her eight, but yeah, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. She's little. Okay, fine. And her older brother has this girl that he likes, and then her older brother dies, and both Ruth and Iggy get to watch that, which was awful to watch. Okay. Fine. In the book, they don't actually see it. Yeah, in the book, they do not see it. <laughs> yes. In fact, nobody sees anybody getting hit by the train in the book. It just happens, and then everybody responds to yeah. it. Yeah. which, okay. But in the movie, we're going to make it dramatic, and Chris O'Donnell's foot's going to get stuck, and, you know, the whole point, the reason he was down there was he was chasing the hat of contrivance. So, so, anyways, Buddy dies. Everybody's sad about it. Child Edgy, six, seven, eight-year-old Iggy, runs away and starts living out in the woods, and, you know, Big George takes care of her occasionally, and yada yada. This is stupid. Okay, in the... (laughs) In the book, Buddy dies, but she's older, she has, she has you know, this difference and she runs away, but she's not a little, little child. She's older that, that, that when Buddy dies.
1: You guys don't see this. I was just doing my skeptical head shake at Kaylee of, ah, kind of, sort of, not quite. But, yeah, okay. She was older, though. Not
0: substantial. But she was enough older. Of
1: years, but not, like, significant. I feel like the, a difference between a six-year-old living in the forest and a ten-year-old living in the forest Okay, is here's big. a major thing, is that helicopter parenting is a fairly new phenomenon. Yeah. Okay, so okay. In 1930. I, all right, in my day, back in my day, when I was like five years old, I was running around in the field,
0: sleeping in a forest
1: without any kind of parental supervision. Um, well, maybe you were raised by wolves. No, no, like seriously, during the summer, I was out at night bicycling, you know, playing in the river. I, okay. I, seriously, I was.
0: I get it. I get. You know, I was a wild child, but I still, especially because in the book, it's she's older, so she's she's hunting. That's, you know, that's how she's surviving out there. She's not just sitting out there, you know? It's like, whatever. Okay, I found that very hard to believe, but
1: that's You're such a Californian. Apparently, I'm a Californian. To me, it's not that unbelievable, especially in the 30s. Or in the teens, in the 20s, but okay.
0: So, Ruth... Ruth comes back later. Like She leaves, she comes back. And now she's here because she's going to help bring Iggy back home. Iggy's older now. She's like a teenager. Iggy's family has basically enlisted Ruth to come back. And I don't even know what they wanted. To like bring Iggy back into the fold, bring her back to civilization, get her to stop living in the forest and whatever all the time. Then we start this relationship between Iggy and Ruth where you're, you're kind of like, okay, so Iggy, Ruth is there to make Iggy a better person, but instead, Iggy's you know wildless kind of rubs up on Ruth, and then that story progresses in the book. Ruth was there later, she had no interaction with Buddy at all, and she and Iggy just, just it's, naturally, it's became naturally friends. Yeah. like it, it she, she was just there, and she and Iggy was older when they first met, and it was definitely reciprocated, yes. They both fell in love with each other. The book is not subtle about this. Ruth loves Iggy. Iggy loves Ruth.
1: Yeah, so in the movie, movie, there's that kind of contrivance of enemies to friends. I don't have to like you. Let's do the, the little angry dance, and then we'll be friends. Yeah. It, it's it's a trope. It's a standard trope.
0: Yeah, it is a standard trope. I just... I, I really didn't like it. I, I
1: really didn't like
0: what they did to Ruth's character in the movie. Mm. At all. And it started with this. It started with
1: her having a thing with Buddy. and then it is very incestuous if you bring in the relationship that she was dating the brother and the sister. Right. Or was she even dating? Because in the movie, it's never as explicitly
0: clear. And again, I know that there, things had to be coded in 1991 differently than they would be coded now. But I, Okay. And this gets me into... The, the casting choice. So, the, the the gal who plays Ruth is Mary Louise Parker. Okay, Mary Louise Parker is a great actress. Hurrah, hurrah. One thing that she does really well is a monotone, almost, I'm, I'm not affected voice while holding her face still and her, only her eyes are moving and kind of only her mouth, only a little tiny bit. Like she does this, I'm going to do it and you guys can't see it, but Jennifer will get the benefit of this. I'm standing here and I'm thinking about things and I'm looking around and that's what's happening now. Okay, This this,
1: is an amazing impression.
0: This inflection works really well with certain characters. It worked great in Weeds because that character was out of her element and was, was grasping at things. And for the most part, when she's kind of this, like, I'm acting like I know what's going on, but like my face kind of isn't moving because I'm not really sure and I'm taking a second to think about things through and I'm, I'm da-da-da-da-da. That works. And it works on the West Wing when she's, I'm running this feminist organization and I'm in the man's world and I'm playing politics and I'm I'm considering every word that I say very carefully. In this movie, she didn't get to act. And I know that this actress can act, but they they wrote the character of Ruth so badly. And
1: then her inflection is... Level. I had an issue with Masterson than I did with Parker. Really? Because Masterson, she reminds me too much of uh, Kristen Stewart. You thought she didn't have enough inflection in her voice? Well, no, it's age? not that she doesn't have enough inflection, but she has kind of that Kristen Stewart sort of pout going on. Oh. And she just doesn't come off to me as, as being really tomboy. She's just a little... She doesn't have the same spunk that I think Iggy would have had. Maybe I was too
0: busy having a crush on Iggy in the movie to, to really look too carefully about her acting. But Ruth- And
1: she, like, when she's playing poker, she's got her jaw open. And she's like, oh, you going to do great. <laughs> it's like she's just trying too hard, and it, it, it is very much Bella from Twilight of just. You
0: know, no, see, I yeah, like Masterson. I, I, I thought I thought Iggy was fine. And I loved, I liked what they did with her hair. And I liked her body movements. But man, Ruth. Oh, God. And again, I think part of it was the character. They made this character She's surface. She's bland. She's surface. She didn't have a personality. Never really got into her head to know that she loved Iggy. You could definitely have watched this movie and been like, yes, Iggy's a lesbian. Iggy loves Ruth. Ruth is kind of there because Ruth had nowhere else to go. Literally, you could watch. It that way because Ruth never acts in any possible way like she actually cares or she has any feelings other than the Ruth feelings that somebody's told her to feel in that particular moment.
1: I just oh it's so frustrating. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue with your interpretation of Ruth. It's it's like I didn't have that much of an issue. There are times when you know Itchy's doing her B thing and Ruth is just kind of staring at her. I think she could have emoted a little bit more instead of just. I think she could have emoted a lot more. But again, yeah, she's just, th- just kind of staring. Yeah, and, it's like, okay, and I, I have I, to
0: interpret this I, again. I don't know if this was the the male director coming in and not knowing how to write believable lesbians, or if this was 1991 and we don't want to, you know, we'll get threaten middle America. But I really did not like what they did with Ruth. So the ah, Ruth. <sighs> Okay. Which, okay, brings me to another thing. So when Iggy and Ruth are, they're in love, they're together, and then Ruth has to leave. She has to go home. She has to go home and marry Frank. And she struggles with it because she loves Iggy, but it's also the time and place where it is. And she's kind of, she's a good girl. She needs to go off and marry Frank. And he's, you know, in Georgia, he's seen as this decent guy. So she's going to go off and do this and it's hard for her and Iggy throws a huge ass fit when Ruth leaves
1: breaks like everything in the house. (laughs) So this is what got me about Iggy's character that I didn't like in the book is that she's either sort of this very childish, not that bright sort of character and then later on she's this very wise person who can take Stump out and go, okay, I know how to fix this issue with your arm and your attitude towards it. You know, she has all the tall tales and everything but at this point she's just like beeping her horn in a fit. I'm like don't be a child. But she was a child. She was 16. I'll give her some credit okay. at that point. She grows,
0: and I think her relationship with Ruth, she, she calms down.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, For there's sure. definitely some growth, but it just seemed like very black and white. This is young Edgy, and then this is old Edgy. Yeah, we don't really
0: see a lot of the transition. And, yeah, I will. I will definitely, and the transition is what got me. I feel like it probably happened after because we have the big drama points. We have the drama point of Itchy and Ruth falling in love. We have the drama point of Ruth going off and marrying Frank. Then we have a period of time where there separated, Iggy misses her. Ruth is married for a while, like a couple of years at yeah. least to Frank, Off, you know, and Edgy has whatever. I think she's she's growing, but she's sad, but she's she's getting, you know, and and she she's getting her life on with Eva. Yes, she's definitely getting <laughs> her life on with Eva. And she checks on Ruth occasionally, but yeah. but, but in this very detached way. She doesn't want to, you know, being, so she, she goes up to the town and she watches Frank get his, you know, his hair done. <laughs> Sorry. His hair cut at the barber's office and um, asks around and stuff and. And she's she's content to just let it be. She's mm-hmm. she, you know Ruth has made a decision. All of this stuff. Then she hears that Frank is a is a wife beater. Difference in the book is that Frank wasn't just a wife beater. Frank was a rapist and specifically went after black women. Yeah, and women in yeah positions of um, you know of non power. Yes, powerlessness. But Ruth is there with him with her mother, and so oh. being very, very well taken care of. And Iggy flies into this rage, and she runs you know goes into Frank, yeah. and she threatens him. He doesn't even know who she is. They even say at the barbershop, they're like, who was that boy? You know, all of this stuff. But she doesn't contact Ruth. She's just like, how could she be with him? And Eva says, you know, you don't know anybody's marriage unless you're in it. And you have to let her make her own decision.
1: I just wish I saw the transformation of Iggy a little bit more. It's just, you know, young Iggy, old Iggy and they're like almost two different people. Yeah. No, I would
0: would agree with that. I do wish we also saw that transition.
1: Yeah, okay. So we're going to go back. So
0: Ruth was being in love with Iggy versus whatever the hell the movie was trying to show us. So from Roger Ebert. It's pretty clear that Iggy is a lesbian and fairly clear that she and Ruth are a couple, although given the mores of the South at the time a lot goes unspoken, we're never quite sure how clear that is to Ruth. Exactly. In the book, movie,
1: we're not really ever sure how clear it is Okay, so this is another behind-the-scenes moment. Um, Kaylee and I have the exact same quote from Roger Ebert on this.
0: (laughs) Yes. But in the book, it's not subtle, and I want to read that quote, too. Okay. It's funny. Most people can be around someone and they gradually begin to love them and never know exactly when it happens, but Ruth knew the very second it happened to her. When Iggy had grinned at her and tried to hand her that jar of honey, all these feelings that she had been trying to hold back came flooding through her. And it was at that second in time that she knew she loved Iggy with all her heart. Ah! Yay! We just didn't see that in the movie at all, which is annoying. Okay, so then again, enter Eva. Eventually, Ruth's mother dies, mm-hmm. and a note comes to to Iggy that with a quote from the Bible from the Book of Ruth, subtle, subtle, um, saying, that I will go with you, and your people will be my people." And blah 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 blah. And so, Iggy's like, "Oh my god, she wants me to come rescue her." So let's actually, you know- Idgie
1: needs to have it interpreted. Further. Yeah, actually, her mom's like, "Well, honey, I guess you better go get her." Okay. <laughs> So... And this is what I mean, there's kind of, like, dumb, young, itchy and then all of a sudden she's smart, wise, edgy, and... Well, you know what? A, a proper amount of lesbian sex will wisen you up. Okay.
0: Okay. So, anyway, so she gets this note, and off she goes to rescue Ruth. In the book, Ruth did not send her that note. Eva did. Oh, yeah. And... I found that interesting. So Eva is this little puppeteer behind the scenes who knows what's good for Ruth, who knows what's good for Iggy,
1: and kind of orchestrates this rescue. But it is... When Ruth's mother dies, she has this feeling like she sort of deserves getting beaten. hmm And then when her mother dies, she's like, okay, I'm done with this. hmm So... There is a change in Ruth. It's not just Eva, oh, I know how to get these two together. There is a change. Yeah. When looking at domestic violence, it is very, very hard to get women out of domestic violence situations. And this is kind of the transformation that needs to happen for that to be something that goes on.
0: Yes. Leaving a domestic violence relationship is incredibly difficult and, and hard. And a lot of people can't ever do it. And yeah. they feel very trapped. And I know that Ruth felt trapped because her mother was being taken care of. Um,
1: we don't really... That emotional part where she felt like she deserved it.
0: Yes. And I want to circle back into Mm -hmm. women feeling about what they do and don't deserve because that really carries into Evelyn as well. But I think it's interesting that we don't really know Ruth's mother's opinion of the Threadgood family because she wasn't there when Ruth went to see the Threadgoods and was there. We know Izzy's parents, the Threadgoods, are Totally pro Iggy and Ruth being together. Yes. Totally 100%. But we don't know about Ruth. So now this gets into if you're closeted in your family versus closeted in your fam, um, your, queer family or your friends who know and and where that lies of your own personal safety. So, I feel like Ruth stayed closeted for the sake of her mother because mm-hmm. her mother probably wouldn't have approved, you know. Um, this is supposition, though. It is. It okay. is. It is, definitely. I'm, I'm putting this in here. But we do know that she stayed with Frank partly because of her mother. Yes. And once, once that was over, she was able to be able to be her more authentic self mm-hmm. in whatever way you want to interpret that. So, Iggy and and Julian, one of the brothers, and Big George show up, and they rescue Ruth, and off they go. And in the book, we don't know that Ruth is pregnant when Iggy rescues her. In the movie, we do. Mm -hmm. And that's the scene where she gets kicked down the stairs. Yes. Flies down the stairs and somehow doesn't lose the baby, which seems like a trope. Usually, when somebody gets kicked down a flight of stairs in a movie and they're pregnant, that baby does not happen. But... In this one, it is. Fine. So now we have the baby. And so now Ruth and Iggy have a baby and they get to raise it. And Ruth sits down with Iggy's parents and says, yeah, I done fucked up. I left her. And I am so sorry, and I will never leave her again, and I will never hurt her again, and I am here to stay. And Iggy's parents were like, cool, here's
1: some money, open up a restaurant. Her parents give Iggy the money. They say, well, you know, you are responsible for this woman now. Yeah. You know, Edgy's now kind of in the husband role, and you need to provide for her. That's right. Yeah. And then they do. Yep. And I just think that's great. Yay. Gay <laughs>
0: for families. Yay <laughs> Being for Accepting. gay. Yay for the gay. Um, okay, so then, so, okay, so Frank... Comes up with the Georgia Klansmen. They kind of do their threatening thing. In the movie, they actually get Big George outside and whip him. Yeah, they flog him. It, it's, you know, and I think that the movie... Okay, <laughs> please understand. I think the movie needed this scene because the movie glossed over a lot of the other racism of that time period. So the scene was awful to watch. It's very uncomfortable and it's not in the book, but there's plenty of other racist scenes in the book. And the book did such a good job of weaving together this quilt of racism and institutionalized oppression and the movie kind of didn't. It glossed over a lot of that stuff, so I it was an important scene to be. Yes. But it was hard to watch. So, yes. Yeah, so, they, they get George outside. They whip him. You know, Frank gets into the house, and he threatens Ruth, and he wants his baby, and all of this stuff. And so now she's all scared. They have a reason to be at this point in time. You know, she really doesn't have a leg to stand on. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't divorce him, which I don't even know if you... It was next to impossible to get a divorce at that time. Right. There's some kind of weird patriarchal bullshit about divorce in the South that maybe I'll look it up and put yeah, it in the it episode notes,
1: but um, no. So you couldn't get a divorce just because you were getting beaten. Yes, that is definitely true. Which is awful. Yeah, and she wouldn't have any property. She would have had almost no. And rights. he would have had rights to the child. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, it wasn't until I, I think about the '70s that that even started to change. Yeah, because before the '70s, men automatically got the children. <laughs> Blarg. Okay.
0: Then Frank comes back to steal the baby. And in the book, we are doled out this story very carefully, in the movie a little bit uh, less so. But he comes in, he tries to steal the baby, then something happens, he doesn't get the baby, and he's dead. And it, they keep the mystery for a while of who actually killed Frank. I kind of felt like who actually hit him in the head wasn't nearly as important as who was part of the conspiracy to cover up the murder, but, you know, it sure. It makes for a
1: nice high point in a film. Exactly. That that That's true. Um, it was Sipsy. <gasps> Spoilers!
0: And, um, you know, because she was part of the family, and she She loves that baby, and you know she.
1: So here's a little side thing. Sipsy, she adopts a baby that was left at the train station one day. Yes, she finds out. Oh, there's a baby. I'm gonna go get it. And she leaves, and she
0: runs, and gets this baby, and that turns into Big George. Yeah, yeah. So she's all about the adopted
1: baby, but she never gets married. And so there's kind of a question since this is very pro sort of LGBT. Is Sipsy asexual? Because she never wants to get married. She just loves children, and so she takes care of all these children. Oh, I have no idea. I did not read into that at all. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> if she had a
0: relationship, that it wasn't, it was just wasn't talked about. But you're right. Like everybody else, everybody gets else have, off yeah. or, or at some point, if she had a husband, it, it would well, have I been know, everybody.
1: At all of our main
0: characters are. Well, not all of our main characters. But a lot of our main characters are gay. Maybe she was just a lesbian and
1: had had. Well, I kind of like the idea of having an asexual character because sure, yeah. your headcanon can make that work for you. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, she would have gotten paired off with Eva at some point. Like, <laughs>
0: Everybody else. Everybody else. Team Eva. So, yes, it's Sipsy. Sipsy's the one who did it. But, of course, you know, that time period, it's going to be real bad if anybody finds out because now you have a black person who's just killed a white person and it doesn't even really matter why at all, even though he hit her first and all of this stuff. So, now we get to the cover-up and we get to the, the truck goes into the river down by Eva's place and Frank's body goes into the big boiling pots to make... Barbecue. So when I
1: saw this as a teenager, I had absolutely no problem with oh, they just like fed a whole bunch of people a person. As an adult, I look at that and go, Oh my god, they're so goddamn gross. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty gross. Yeah. But when I was a kid it was like, Oh, that's funny. <laughs>
0: Well, as what I think is interesting, in the, in the movie, you have one of uh, Big George's kids sitting there watching him cut up this meat. And now that you know what it is, it just adds a level of, whoa, to the whole oh, to the whole situation. And in the book, it's even more graphic, because in the book, before Big George gets the body and they do what they're going to do to it, there's a couple of minutes of downtime as transition, and Sipsy freaking cuts Frank's head off and buries it in the garden – Along with all the the bird heads and fish heads and everything else, you know, in the garden. And that's found later and and whatever else. But, oh my god, you guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there is definitely something going on with Big George's kids, too. There's... Some development here that's a little bit creepy. Yeah,
0: well, and, and again, it's, it's missed. In the in the movie, we don't have time for yeah. that. They're not the main characters.
1: It's well, I don't even think they even have his children in the film at all. Almost. Well,
0: they, they have the one who's in the cafe, who runs to get help when yeah. Frank comes in, who's also watching him cut up the meat. And that's about it. We don't. We don't. And they're not even named. I don't think in the movie. Yeah. Um. In the book, his kids are Jasper, an artist. Jasper, and, then he and he has an older art. son Willie, mm-hmm, who dies. Yeah. Who dies in the war? And that's really sad too. And it has yeah. it talks about like you know how. Okay, whatever. Anyways, yeah. We'll get to that. Again, I understand that the movie was written in a time and a place in the the early 90s, and it was trying to tell a very specific part of the story, but it is a little disappointing, more than a little, actually, that a lot of the the black characters, the characters with is really interesting. Like, we could have had a whole other movie just about them. But the film is really
1: long. It is a very long film. So they, Yeah. Um, So there is an uncut version that has a couple extra scenes that's a little over two hours you do have to compress for time. A two-hour movie is a very, very long movie. Yeah. So, it's, it's
0: full Even enough. a two-hour lesbian movie. Especially this one when it wasn't full-on lesbian. I could watch... Never mind. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> brokeback lesbians. Yeah, <laughs> brokeback lesbians. <laughs> um, okay, so, Frank dies. Sipsy's the one who did it. They cover it up. There's this conspiracy. Fine. Okay, then we have the investigation, and in the book we have Curtis Smoot, who comes from Georgia mm. to, to look into this death. And in the movie, it's the same thing. Curtis Smoot comes over, and, and they're trying to figure I out. the Casting was pretty well. Done. Yeah, this guy's great. He's yeah. always that kind of weaselly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and he's eating Frank as he's like, you know, we're so gonna find you. Okay. this
1: totally does not work because they were eating Frank the next, next day. day. It
0: would have taken way longer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They didn't even discover well, that. I don't think. I don't think it was supposed to be the next day. It was supposed to be. A little ways, because he wasn't reported missing until yeah, he was reported missing. It, it wasn't
1: until they had the flood and oh, there's the car because they didn't know where he was. It was just like Georgia, so he was around to to talk to Ruth because Ruth was his wife. Was his wife? So yeah, that's two different things though. But in the movie, he wasn't even called in until they found the vehicle. No, it no, was-
0: he came. He came in. He came in before the vehicle was found. Hmm. He did. He did because because that, that happens first, and then, the, and then when the when the vehicle is found, he's not there as part of that. Smoot's, yeah, but that's what starts the trial, right? But Smoot's not part of that. Okay, which is why I know why you're confused because in the in the book he was part of the trial. Okay, but we'll get to that in a second. So anyway, Smoot's but, there. Yeah, the
1: time thing is just. Off.
0: He's talking to Iggy, and in the in the movie, he's like, "Girly girl, you can't run from the law." In the book, he goes, "Girl, you can't run from the law." And the book exposition tells us he had a daughter who has to live outside of town because Frank used her and whooped her and has a child by her that he won't acknowledge. So Smoot is a little like, well, gee, he says to Iggy, I really hope his body's not found because then I'd have to come back and I'd have to arrest you. And there's this whole subtext that is drastically and quickly becoming text where he's basically (laughs) like, dude, girl, I know what you did. I don't care because I didn't like him, but I can't mm. tell you that. But also, please make sure there's no body. Please make sure you have taken care of the evidence so I don't ever have to come back here. And Iggy's like, "Cool, cool, okay." So then they're fine, right? Yeah. And then we fast forward. The truck is found. Oh no! Now Iggy and Frank get get arrested. Oh no! Now we have the trial. Okay. And then during the trial, the minister who Iggy's been tormenting forever and ever shows up, lies under oath, but he doesn't actually take an oath on a Bible. He takes it on something else. He gives her an alibi. All the hobos show up to to confirm her alibi everybody's happy as this is happening the judge in the trial is like look there's we've got a minister here he wouldn't lie we've got all these people blah 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 it turns out that judge is no less than mr smoot in the book it's the same guy and he still is like frank dead oh well, like oh, he darn. doesn't care. And I love that. I mean, of course that gets us into a little bit of this southern justice aspect where it's kind of fucking corrupt, but whatever. It's fine because the bad guy gets it and the good guys win. In the movie, we it's not the same character. The judge just randomly is like, this is crazy pants. Let's not have this trial. And it, and it feels a little disjointed without yeah. that connection. But I love that the connection was there in the
1: book and that Frank's own bad deeds continue to... <laughs> (laughs) that kind of goes along with like the rose colored southern experience because usually when you have southern justice that is not a good thing yes usually southern justice would be that big george just hung yeah
0: you know and there was no trial or, or anything like that so yeah the other big difference between the trial in both of in the book and the movie is when is ruth because in the movie, Ruth is alive, the trial, the, the flood happens, which I know, that's mm-hmm. why you were confused about the timing. Yeah, it uh, happens very quickly, all of this stuff about Frank's death, and then the flood, and then they find the truck, and then there's the trial. That's like, there's like less than a year difference here. It's like six months, or maybe even like six yeah, weeks. Yeah, in the movie, it's and, and being
1: years later, and Ruth is dead by that point. Yeah, and the movie, she, this is where her, I'm going to teach uh, Sunday school, I'm the good girl, pays off, and she gets the to preach her to help out Iggy
0: right which is fine or in the book the the preacher comes forward because Iggy as one of her heart of gold moments helped his son out years and years and years ago which comes back to this whole idea of karma like Iggy does good things for people and then down the road good things come to her Frank does bad things to people down the road bad things happen to him you know we have a lot of of that idea of karma and then how you treat other people coming back to be repaid to you so they didn't really do that in the the movie they didn't have railroad bill in the movie Mm -hmm. which in the book was this somebody who kept getting on trains and throwing food off towards the, the little tiny black towns along the way so that it, people it's wouldn't starve. Much and it's itgy. It's, yeah. it's it's no there's no question and in the book it becomes very obvious that it's itgy like stump finds out about it. So there's no mystery there but like that's a thing that's another part of who itgy and
1: Ruth because Ruth was part of it. In, it is a tiny bit in yeah in the movie.
0: It, well they, they they throw stuff off the train yeah. at one point. But they but don't have
1: like railroad bills. But, this right.
0: Knows. They just have you know itgy throwing food off the train as corrupting ruth as part of ruth's corruption god don't get me started on that again yeah so anyways and ruth dies of cancer in both places it just matters if she gets to see stump grow up a little bit more versus not and it's sad in both places this is more more for sipsy to do in the book sipsy is the one who kind of lets helps ruth move off this mortal coil Mm. and has sent Iggy off to go collect pine cones, so Izzy's not there. And, and Stump are not there when Ruth dies, which is very sad, but, you know, Sipsy didn't want her to suffer anymore. Yeah. I will say that the, the probably the best acted scene, I thought, from Ruth's point of view in the movie was when she died. She didn't have to do much, but... And I think it's expect- just because you don't like that character. I, You know, <laughs> I liked the character in the book, but it's not in the movie.
1: Um, anyway, so yeah, so she dies. It's very sad. So can we talk about Twanda? Okay, let's talk about Tawanda because we are completely forgetting the 80s theme here. We're well, all,
0: look, you know, the 80s theme, it's almost like a two, it's, it's two separate books. Mm. And, and I feel like I'm not sure why Fannie Flagg decided to use the framing device the way she did. I feel like you could take out all the 80s stuff, and you'd still have a really interesting story. It would be fine. It might have to be rearranged a little bit structurally, mm-hmm. from a narrative point of view, but but really, it would be fine. It would be an interesting story, blah, 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 blah. You've got these great characters, and Iggy, and Big and George, and all of that. And then you've got the 80s story, which also, by itself, is fine, but maybe not enough. So, it, fine, put them together, but they, they're they're very different. They're Or not different, they're very distinct. And so I feel like it, you kind of have to talk about them as separate things and then talk about their connections as opposed okay. to talking about them being interlaid because, I,
1: yeah. It's really difficult whenever you have flashbacks and this sort of structural device. So a really, really good story will have them play off of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll, you'll build up to something where you do need these two different structural devices. This one, not so much. Right.
0: Usually when you have two parallel storylines and one's in the past and one's in the present or whatever they have parallel structure in terms of rising action climax and falling action yeah. so so as you're reading about the you know plot A it's building and building building and getting to its climax at the same time that plot B is building and building and then like both of them have their climaxes at the same time simultaneous climax time and when they do that then everybody comes together it feels si- like
1: it either should be a his and her or a hers and her underwear pair there you go <laughs> and so that way, the stories both come together. Wow, I can't stop hearing it now. <laughs> and
0: the power of innuendo. Uh, anyways, this one doesn't really do that. It, it, they, they both have their rising action and their climaxes, but they're, they're, they're offset a little bit. And
1: if you look at this as sort of the, the different levels of feminism that you have, and how women sort of get lost, and what one generation struggles with with another generation, it sort of balances out, but narratively, they don't really match up. And so it's, it's a weird thing.
0: Yeah. And I feel like this is really actually showcased in Twanda, which, okay. So mm-hmm. in the book, Twanda is, is a creation of Evelyn's. She's starting to kind of reclaim her power a little bit. She's realizing that the world is jacked up and that this patriarchal systems have Really fucked her over, and that she really deserves better. And so, you know, when you go through the stages of grief, you go through anger. So she goes through anger, and her anger is manifested in Tawanda, which is her imaginary friend, imaginary version of herself, who goes out there and you know puts bombs in penthouse books and and blow and castrates all the pedophiles and and takes away all of the the guns and you know does all of these hugely horrific violent things to the hugely horrific violent men and all you know basically fights against the structures of power which is great it's fun it's, it's a little escapism she mellows down she doesn't become like a raging anti-man well, feminist what I about but- this
1: if I may okay so Ichi's Tawanda actually does stuff I mean she's actually throwing out food to people who need it okay but in the book there is no Tawanda on Iggy's side
0: know, yes. So, so that's, that's my thing is that Evelyn creates Tawanda as this, this version. And, and in the book, it's not, Iggy doesn't have Tawanda. Iggy just is Iggy. Yeah. And, and in the movie, in order to Make this connection clear to us dumb people who watch movies, apparently. (laughs) Iggy has to say Tawanda a couple times as she does something. We don't get Iggy's story of like who the fuck Tawanda is.
1: Because Iggy doesn't need a Tawanda. She
0: doesn't! And so I I hate that they put that in the movie. I Mm -hmm. hate that they gave Iggy the word Tawanda. It did not belong in her mouth at all. It makes perfect sense. For Evelyn to be like Tawanda, she bangs her car into somebody, or you know, finds her voice. And at first, when you are going through a metamorphosis, when you are first, it has to start in the
1: head, and then it can go into action. Yes,
0: and 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 sometimes that sometimes it's too scary to be empowered yourself, mm. so you act it out through other means, or you 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 watch things or read things about other people being empowered, and eventually you get empowered. All of that stuff; those are layers of feminism that comes with Evelyn, and so it makes sense that Tawanda existed and then kind of you did her part and then Evelyn herself becomes the empowered person and doesn't need to Wanda anymore. I just hate that they put it in the movie because Iggy didn't
1: need it. Iggy was Iggy. Yeah, it's just making that connection clearer in the in the movie. Yeah, and you have to dumb it down a little bit, except... It's not necessarily dumbing down, it's just making a connection where you don't have the time to do that in more subtle ways. Uh, I feel like
0: we could have gotten it without Iggy having to say the word. I feel like we we're smarter than that. Okay, but, but if
1: Evelyn out. starts chilling out to Wanda, would it make any sense?
0: No! So, because we're not going to live in Evelyn's head so much, maybe don't use the word to Wanda. Maybe have her do other things. There's a way that you could show the story without having to tell it, but like having this random... Or- that's never explained in the movie... It Iggy says it, and then Evelyn says it, and you're like, oh, okay. But, yeah, but it, it, it waters down the point, because in the in the book, Tawanda was this manifestation. Tawanda was
1: this symbol. Tawanda was important to Evelyn's growth as woman, as a person, as a character. character. You have Iggy doing it during moments of action. You know, when she's being the, the social justice warrior. You know, back before there were social justice warriors of throwing out the food and helping out these people or that. And what have you. And so that is the call of action. That is then Evelyn's call to action in her head. Yeah, so that's why you have to make that connection. Otherwise, Evelyn just yelling out to Wanda doesn't make sense because you don't have that ability to kind of go through her mind in a film. I think my point was that I
0: I wish that she hadn't needed the word to Wanda. If we're not going to show as You just want her to have any action. I wanted the action or to find a different way for the filmmakers to show. Mm-hmm. And I think that they did. Like when she's on the freaking trampoline and she's sassing her husband or when she's making decisions. Uh, there was a lot of things that happened in the, in the book that were very cerebral for yeah. Evelyn. There are a lot of stuff in her head. So we couldn't get that because we don't spend time in Evelyn's head really in the movie. Because it's a movie, not a book. But I feel like we could have had more of those moments showcased. You know, they could have found ways to show it instead of just telling us. And they're telling us by also putting... Putting this word in Iggy's, and I think it detracts from Iggy's character. It's so your mileage will vary. I just
1: two stories together a little bit more. Yeah,
0: yeah, because we needed that. Because well, they, you do. Because, we, yeah. yeah,
1: because they are very separate things. And so why are you telling these two different stories? Is because one is impacting the other, and this is a direct connection. It is a direct connection. That is true.
0: So let's talk about the ending. All right. Okay. First of all, in the book. The ending is amazing because it is still alive. She and Julian are like living somewhere else, selling fruit and honey yeah. at a stand. And she's still doing her stuff and it's, it's happy. Yeah. And Evelyn has basically like Nini Threadgood, that our storyteller she has died. Um, Evelyn, like, you know, has gone to fat camp, I guess is where she was, and she's gotten her own sense of self-powerment. She's moving on. Mm-hmm. She's doing well in life. And, you know, way off over here, Iggy's also still alive and doing her thing. And I thought it was great. Yeah. It was great. In the movie, we have Ninny doesn't die. In fact, Ninny's going to go live with Evelyn. And then there is this question they kind of play with at the end of the movie about this whether is or so not. Nanny is actually itchy. Now she's not. She's 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 not. She
1: cannot be. She cannot possibly be edgy. First off, she introduces herself. Hi, I'm Mary Corey, who is one of the the Claire. brothers. Yeah, whatever. And so she would be the next brother fucker. Yeah. Hollywood, stop making brother fucker movies. Okay, but she's not edgy. She's not edgy. There's no way she. Okay, first of all, it, it's it looks like a last minute thing that they threw into the film just to make all the ends really neat. And it doesn't. It makes it really weird. It does. If you pay attention to the film. because but after two hours, maybe you don't remember. That's how she introduced herself.
0: Well, not only that, but... It's creepy. She would have been talking... And, and I get it, like They're like, oh, Iggy always told these tall tales, so now here's this person telling this long, tall tale. But it doesn't work. She gets dropped off by the... She, she takes a taxi from the old folks' home to her home, which has been demolished, and then she's sitting there on her suitcase, basically looking at where her house used to be, going, oh my god, they stole my house. When Evelyn shows up to take her home. But also, magically, over here on the graveside of Ruth's grave is a jar of honey with a note. So, where the hell did the honey come from? Are you trying to tell me that Ninny slash potentially Itchy left the nursing home, got dropped off with her suitcase, went off into the forest, grabbed some honey, put it in a jar, wrote a note, stuck it over on the graveside, then went and sat back down in front of her house to continue the pretense that she was. No! No! That's stupid. it's ridiculous. It's dumb. Evelyn's saying, Is Iggy still alive? And Ninny's saying, Well, yes, you know, and oh will we see her today? Well we might, you know. Okay, because Iggy's alive, not because Ninny's Iggy. So I hate that the I hate that there was even a question there. It yeah. really undermines a lot of stuff, and it's just it's just silly is what it is. I do not have time. This level of silliness. So there. Also, the book ending was just way better. Yes. Yes. But it would have been a downer for a movie. I don't think so. Jessica Tandy dying? I think that you could have had Evelyn being sad, but being like, I learned so much from you, Mrs. Threadgood, and, and now, you know, here I am a year later standing at your grave, and I'm telling you where my life has taken me, and I got that pink Cadillac, just like you always said I could, and blah, blah, blah. And then, you couldn't even have her saying, and I'm driving down to Florida to go to the Mary Kay convention, and then she stops in a roadside cafe, and she buys honey from this uh, old woman, and she gets in the car, and she goes... Huh, and then she drives away.
1: You're welcome, Hollywood. It, it wouldn't it, have been a downer. It could have been happy. I I, live, I love the idea of her driving down to the peak Cadillac and getting some honey, and there's Iggy, and then afterwards Oh, hey. Especially since but, the
0: opening scene of the movie is her in the car with her husband getting lost and getting stuck in Whistle Stop, which isn't even in the book. But like she's just eating a candy bar, and she's looking around, and she's feeling like this earning Haley, for something she can't even like... monologuing. She's feeling this yearning <laughs> for something she can't even articulate yet at that point in her personal development. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, here she is like stopping to get healthy food and honey, and then she she's like oh my god it would have been so much better hollywood you really need to call me the next time you do a book to film adaptation because i have ideas the end everything left i have to say is about themes or things i am bitter about <laughs>
1: about you <laughs> really kaylee you bitter and angry about something shock it happens <laughs> okay so we have family blood not chosen
0: love uh aging lesbianism Let's see, we have racism, southern justice, which I kind of talked about, kindness, feminism, ball-busting, patriarchy, smashing women power, roar. We have the power of words and our stories. Not that we're going to talk about any of these in detail. Okay, okay, sorry, let's start at the top. So, family. Family. You have your blood family and your chosen family. We've already talked a little bit about the idea of an adoptive child. Sipsy adopts the baby that she gets Mm -hmm. off the train. Iggy is definitely um, a parent to Stump, even though there's no blood there. We have
1: a lot of that kind of stuff. So, here's one of the misnomers about blood is thicker than water. That is a shortened quote. Okay. What's the full quote? The full quote is, blood of the covenant is... Thicker than water of the womb. Okay, so let's talk about where that came from. It can be traced back to 12th century Germany. Okay, and what what does it actually mean? So, water of the womb, these are the people you're related to by family. Blood of the covenant are the people that you choose in life. These are the people you make your oaths to. So, when you make an oath to somebody, as in, like, knighthoods or whatnot, this is stronger than your ties to your family, which is... Exactly the opposite of how we use a day of blood is thicker than water. Right, that's true. Yeah. Everybody,
0: you've been using the quote wrong, but we have edified you. So now you can use it properly. Good for you. So, yeah, and the idea here is that we have the, the family, the people that are chosen are more important and worth giving up everything for, you know, mm-hmm. versus the people that you're related to by blood. So, do you want to talk about coding? Yeah, let's talk about coding because I mean, I feel like we've touched on it several times, but. It's just fascinating that the book which was written in the 80s references a town in the South in the Great Depression that was accepting of this this lesbian couple. The movie that was made in the early 90s, based on the book written in the 80s, had to code that lesbian relationship so that mainstream audiences wouldn't get ickified or overly tantalized. And so it's, it's very coded almost to the point of not being there. That I find fascinating. Okay, they added in the scene of the women having a food fight. And, you know, food is, is always an allegory for sex and passions and all... Sex and passions and all of that kind of stuff. Not like
1: honey. Not
0: like honey. The warm stickiness. Stick your finger in my jar of honey. I got this honey just for you. <gasps> it was dangerous, but I did it.
1: Okay, so I am going to make a recommendation to anybody who's really interested in sort of the, the history of gay and lesbian cinema. Is The celluloid Closet. Now, there are more than one documentary, but this is one of my favorites. And it looks at how coding was done back in the early days. So Ben-Hur, absolutely gay. And everybody knew it. Except for the guy playing Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston. Because everyone was playing it around him. Right. So, yeah. When did you finally have, like, mainstream openly gay films? And it seems like Brokeback was, like, the first one that really had that mainstream, this is a relationship, and that's the and main And we're not going to code all. it Yeah, it's, it's explicit. Yeah. And so before then, yeah, you do have those sort of relationships, but you have to look for them, and you have to know how to look for them. If you were a straight audience member, did you see this relationship? As, as a lesbian relationship? I yeah. feel like no. No.
0: I, I think it was so well-coded. I was a freaking queer person <laughs> who but hadn't seen any representations, really, on yeah. film, so it wouldn't even have occurred to me that they could. There was a moment of, well, now... It's almost, maybe, maybe. Oh, no, no. It's a no. sensual for straight, Right, you know, yeah, and they're, friendship. like, in, in this water, and I don't know, I don't know. Like, there's maybe, a, oh, it's a very chaste kiss. Okay, they're, they're living together. But because it wasn't bonk-bonk on the head, it wasn't there. Because we hadn't, at that point, hadn't had a lot of other representations So when you don't see yourself represented in media, in movies, and film, and television... There is representation, but you have to look for it. Right, I'm just saying. Like, yeah. it, it, especially... If, I, this movie came out in 1991. I was 10. Okay, so like I had not seen the lesbian stuff out in the world, and when well, I you also didn't know how to look for it either.
1: It, and that's my yeah. point
0: because it wasn't there enough to, to be obvious. So then you didn't realize
1: that you were supposed to look. But on you can look layer. back at like Rock Hudson films. You know, you can look back at the 50s and 40s films, and even the 30 films.
0: Yeah, through and, these lenses now. you yeah. know, but not at the not. You know, when you're first coming to books or movies or cinema or or anything, any kind of media, you're they're basically tabula rasa. You don't know what to even look for. You don't know to ask the questions. So yeah, no, I, it was it was it was overly coded. And I have another little thing.
1: Okay, okay? I'm going to say it's coded for people who don't know how to look for codes.
0: Yes, but I feel like at that point, if it's coded so much that. The people who aren't looking for codes are going to miss it. And then people who might actually want or need that in their life, like mm-hmm. queer me in the 90s, are still missing it. Like, I feel like it got overly coded, I guess. is, is and, and that's okay. And I understand why. And I understand...
1: That doesn't mean I have to like it. And no, so you have to like yeah. it. And representation is great. Watching I'm just gonna it- say if you look back at like a nineteen fifties film and you have Breta Garbo and she's dressed in a tuxedo, this is obviously, you know, queer cinema, but you have to make it for a straight audience so queer people can understand it and say, Oh, hey, there's my, my Butch lesbian gal. Right. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: So, unlike the novel, the film does not make the lesbian romance between the two central characters explicit, instead leaving the relationship between Iggy and Ruth ambiguous. The DVD contains an audio commentary in which the director acknowledges the relationship and points out that a scene between Iggy and Ruth engaging in a food fight was intended to be seen as symbolic lovemaking. The thing that gets me about that is Grady comes in at the end. Yeah, he And, does. and he's little... watching, because that's what men like to do. At the time of the film's debut, it was criticized by reviewers and activists for what was seen as glossing over. Over the lesbian relationship however it did win an award from the um, from glad, the glad yeah because it had lesbian content God the bar was really low it shows examples of discrimination against african-american women and the disabled but the novel's examination of sexuality based prejudice through a robust lesbian plot is made more ambiguous and I got that from a really interesting couple of um, critical essays and I will link to them in our in our notes because some, there's a lot of really cool critical essays that were written yes. about this kind of bridging off of the lesbianism we have a lot of themes here about feminism especially in the book where uh, Evelyn has this whole epiphany about ball busting and how like her husband says that that woman's a real ball buster and that's a bad thing but then like if you have you know you gotta have the right
1: balls for that you know and all this stuff and so she's like oh my god what is this men's deception with balls so here's a funny thing I thought is in the book she actually does dress up in taran wrap yes and in the movie it's so cute because you don't actually see anything but she's dressed up in saran wrap and she looks so ladylike oh yes it's, it's almost like a bow. business suit <laughs> yes
0: it's with her heels
1: oh yes trying to get her husband's but attention but it's imaginary in the film it's, she's imagining doing this and, and then, she
0: she knows even in her imagination her husband's horrified yeah. whereas you know in the book she does it and he is horrified you know
1: Ugh, yeah but it bothers me a little bit if you look at different ways of feminism because Evelyn's trying to go to all these classes and there's one where it's very heavily coated. Dike, mm-hmm. you know, very masculine. Where this woman has heads of animals all over the walls, and we're going to look at our vaginas with these mirrors. Mm-hmm. And Evelyn just, well, oh, I just can't do this. Yeah. I'm too
0: southern. Well, right, and she has a girdle in yeah. the movie. That's it's played for laughs because she has a girdle, and then she's the subject of you know. So
1: there is kind of that play of well, there's two masculine, and then you have Iggy who's very masculine yet a positive role model. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because
0: Evelyn's femininity. Is never in question. She's she's super femme. Yeah. Right? Um, and she she even has a point where she doesn't wanna be Okay, actually, I, I have this in my section of Power of Words, but it kind of goes into this idea of feminism. So mm-hmm. so this is a quote from the book, and it's Evelyn in one of her moments of, of thinking things through. She goes, what was this power, this insidious threat, the invisible gun to her head that controlled her life? It's all about words. This terror of being called names. She had stayed a virgin, so she wouldn't be called a tramp or a slut. She'd married, so she wouldn't be called an old maid. She'd faked orgasms, so she wouldn't be called frigid. She'd had children, so she wouldn't be called barren. Had not been a feminist because she didn't want to be called queer and a man-hater, never nagged or raised her voice so she wouldn't be called a bitch. She'd done all of that, and yet still, this stranger had dragged her into the gutter with the names that men call women when they are angry. Because this was a, in the point in the parking lot where some guy calls her a cunt, yeah. basically. And for no reason, he's just angry. And he's this angry young man who calls her this horrible name, and she is just horrified. And she gets her power a little bit... Through this. She realizes like, why am I letting men specifically in society have this much control over me? But when she's trying to find herself, she's looking in all the places. She's doing the work. She's going to these things. Maybe I'll fit in here. Maybe I'll fit in here. But she doesn't want to be a man. It's very lesson.
1: feminine mystique. It is. It's a very 60s sort of uh, feminine issue of, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm just not happy. Right. Well, she's in her 40s. Her kids are grown.
0: Her husband doesn't care about her. He's, you know, One of the saddest
1: things was she didn't spend that much time with her son because her husband would say, well, you don't want to raise a queer. Uh, Yeah. The book had a lot of that in it. And that's why, I mean, the the book has the very rose-colored glasses, but it's more subversive than you would expect. Right, And this is one of those things that was kind of subversive of, oh, we're going to have queer bashing. And yet it's a very gay...
0: Well, we have the queer bashing in the quote-unquote modern time, whereas in the old-timey history in in this rose-colored southern town where everybody got along and even the Klansmen had, you know, like, decent moral fiber somehow because they weren't those Georgia Klansmen. They were, you know, well, these are our word I won't say. You know, all of this stuff well, the only
1: reason they got away with it is because Iggy was friends with Grady.
0: Yeah, exactly. So but did... we still had this whole idea like it was it wasn't as dangerous. It, it was, was lost over a lot to me, magical
1: effect. Iggy because magical Iggy gets the elephant. Magical Iggy does this and that and keeps the people safe from yeah. the My point is that the queer baiting, the queer baiting, the queer
0: bashing <laughs> in the in happens in the modern versus the old time, yeah, which is is backwards kind of in some ways, but also it makes perfect
1: sense from a from a fictionalized book. Yeah, I thought it was sort of interesting. You know, in the fifties, tramp or slut, this would have been such a bad thing, and then you had Eva who oh, just yeah. didn't care and just lived her life and was free and was. They never have a question in this thirties timeline of who they are. Yeah, it's never question. It's a modern sort of conundrum. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because I feel like a lot of times when you say, oh, the good old days, you know, you're you're, really, you're the good old days for who? For the white people in power? Sure. Yeah, those were the good old days. But, you know, in this case, the good old days, people knew who they were. You're allowed to be a lesbian and run a business. You're, you know. You weren't and, allowed to divorce. That is an issue. That, that definitely. Well, and, you know, Evelyn is not really interested in leaving her husband. She just wants to have a better life. Yeah. and And she gets it in the end by the power of feminism. Which, you know, she's a little afraid of at first, but she, she eventually gets there, so.
1: Um, I do want to bring up Jasper and Artis a little bit. Okay, characters who are left out of the movie completely. Yeah, so Jasper and Artis are twins. The oldest son, whom she named Jasper, is the color of a creamy cup of coffee. The other one named Artist, was black as coal. They are big George's children. Yeah, you have Jasper, who ends up being a very well-respected gentleman who works on a high-end train. At one point, he's...
0: He's given an award for being a wonderful Pullman. Yeah. Yeah,
1: has yeah, a great life. And then you have artists. And, you know, describing people in terms of food is kind of a racist thing to begin with. But even with coffee, you think of coffee as warm and creamy and, and wonderful, even yes. though it is a very racist sort of way to describe somebody. Yeah. And then you have artists who's dirt. He's basically coal. He's black, almost to the point of being blue. He's got blue gums. He's in jail multiple times. There's often no reason giving. He's a Flanderer He's poor. Um, at one point, he tries to save a friend's dog, um, cuts the rope, and then dog catchers claim the artist pulled a knife on him. I end up spending six months in prison.
0: As a child, though, he also was, like, stabbed his brother without really knowing why, and yeah. stabbed the dead body, which is a whole other yeah. little, and little so story that skips. Yeah, and so it just
1: seems like, in some ways, the novel wants to have his cake and eat it, too. If Artis wasn't presented with that, if, it, if he didn't have the stabbing thing, you could say, this is the racism that happens. This is the effect. You know, mm-hmm. one person who's lighter-skinned, they have a better life. The person who's dark-skinned, they have this really shitty life. But... Except that artist is presented as being kind of the bad a kid also the
0: the lighter skinned of the twins spends his life in service yeah and is Not thrilled with it, but like, oh, I know my place. I'm going to spend my life in service. But he is the quote-unquote good Negro because he spends his life in service. And he's not threatening to anybody because he's not as black. And he spends his life in service. So what is the book saying? Is it saying that, like, artist is naturally going to be treated worse because he's dark? Is it saying that an artist is naturally worse because he's dark? I mean, or or is he being punished for finding himself and, like, going to Birmingham him being like, oh, my God, jazz mm-hmm. and music and life and, and stuff, and I don't want to be put down and, and work in my life in service. I want to be my actual self. I It is kind of a mixed message that comes from it. yeah. it's, it's it's and that
1: really bothered me. If you didn't have artists with that one stabbing scene, I would have had a lot more sympathy. You could make a case of, this is what, you know, culture does to a person. This mm-hmm. is, you know, when we're, we're racist, this is what happens. But you had that one scene and it's yeah. like, oh, fuck.
0: If, it's it's not institutionalized racism at that point. I think it's the author's almost – it's almost impossible to write about something that you live in, right? And so if you – you know, and Fanny Flagg was raised in the South, mm. and she was writing this book in the 80s. So, yes, it's pretty progressive but there's going to be kernels of things that she probably can't completely separate from just because it's cringeworthy though. It oh my god, yeah. It's so
1: cringeworthy. Like, you know, Iggy and Ruth, well, they're the good white people because, you know, they're nice to their blacks. They're nice
0: to their bla- to their blacks.
1: Yes. yes. And there's and still a I lot mean. of this ownership so, bullshit. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. And, and so Yeah, progressive. It it reminds me so much of Paula Deen, though. It's like, well, I'm so nice, and I cook with butter, and, oh, I'm going to say that word. (sighs) Yeah, because I can. Yeah. Idji never says the word, thankfully. No. No. But, you know, I... And there's another scene where Sipsy goes, oh, don't let this happen to Ruth and Itchy, Don't you do it, Lord? And I'm just like, oh, God, why? Really? Really? have to?" And so that really, really bothered me, and... that's again I mean, the rose
0: colored is- version and it's, this book was written by a white lady for white audiences yeah. in, in a lot of ways and so of course she's and, and Fanny Flagg and Fanny Flagg is is a lesbian herself or by I'm not sure she's had multiple relationships with women I'm not sure how she you know identifies but so that is her her thing that's her area she's going to write a book with, that has strong protagonist lesbian characters who are the good guys who blah 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 that's great and there's this glossing over of the racism especially in the movie yeah can you can you can you fault it no can you still be cringed yes and i can and, totally fault it well <laughs> okay i i feel like you know an author is never going to be perfect and right
1: well there's stuff of the author of you know you can look at this as you know what is fanny flag really putting into this and then what can we say about the culture of it um but then you also have willie and it's it's just really really gross
0: well okay so he's in the military and he's the the town is very proud of him our very own Willie has gone off to fight and then the war ends and then he is in a bar and he gets in a bar fight because he finally you know he has a breaking point where he stands up and says hey don't talk about my my mother my father I think it's his (laughs) father somebody says that his father you know is an Uncle Tom because he's always working for the white people and blah 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 and so Willie loses his temper and he kills this guy and then the army's like oh just another black guy having a
1: knife fight at a bar and so it's a dishonorable and it's. It's not and so that's what I look at and I go, yeah, she almost gets it Flag like almost gets because that's a great story to have in there mm-hmm. to say it's a tiny little thing and then it says a lot, yeah. But I- then she had Jasper an Artist, and that that hurt,
0: yeah, it did.
1: I, I'm not arguing with you for sure,
0: <laughs> argue with me, no, not on that. <laughs> So that's kind of all my themes. Oh, we had aging. Aging is a big theme. Um, you know, everything from looking into your past, and it gets rose-colored. Again, we're getting this story from somebody, an old lady's version of it, and the town's own version of itself through Dot Weems. So eh, it's going to gloss over some stuff. But also, women age. People age. Aging sucks. Death is sad. I don't know. The town gets old and dies. Mm. The people get old and die. People get old and move on.
1: Well, that's... I think well handled in the book and that's what they missed out with the movie. Mm-hmm. And, but we talked about this, you know, yeah. we, we don't have any dying and it takes out a, a major lesson mm-hmm. because it's sad. It is
0: sad. And life, is sad. There's sad things in life, and also death happens. And so, not any you know, you're not guaranteed any extra time. And so, you kind of have to make the best of it. And I think that that as a catalyst for for Evelyn realizing mm-hmm. that you know my life is half over, but it's only half over. Like she feels really old at the beginning, and she even says, "I'm too old to be you know." And then he says, "Honey, you've still got half your life. You've still got forty years to go." And so, like that's kind of an optimistic thing. You can make a change now and still have a lot of years of good. To- so mm-hmm. don't give up I, you know so there is an optimistic thing about that but we need the death at the end to, to really bring that lesson home and since it we didn't yeah
1: and to me this is, this is a lot of lost opportunities in film so we talked about The Last Unicorn which had kind of a sad ending but I, as a child it wasn't sad to me even though it's not the super happy sugar ending mm-hmm. it's a necessary ending Right, and so this one, you're missing out on that necessary ending of, okay, it's not going to be leaving the audience feeling great and happy and, oh my god, this is so cute. But it's the one that gives you the strongest lesson. Yeah. So, it, I, to me, that was a missed out opportunity. Yeah. Back to uh, another little thing is, I love Nini, and she has a son who has mental health issues. He had an aneurysm. He's always going to be in this childlike state. She takes care of him her whole life. But this is part of what makes her such a happy sort of person is that she had this child who was never sad, who always took the kind of the best parts of life. Right. And so that's a great lesson to have. And so when we're looking at Dot Weems? Dot Weems. yeah, Dot Weems. it's, It's these stories and some of them could be just, oh my fucking God, look at what my husband did. But she doesn't tell it that way. She's like, oh, look at what my better half did. And it's sort of cute. It's like, okay, we can poke fun at ourselves. We can move on with life. We can have some fun. Not everything has to be like tragedy all the time. So it's... It's not letting life get to you. Yeah. And that's one of the things. It's not rose-colored glasses. Um, this is one of the things I loved about Smokey Lonesome. He meets a young boy who is killed.
0: And Smokey is one of the hobos. He's a reoccurring hobo at
1: the cafe. He had a bigger thing in the book. Yes, definitely. So one of the stories that was in the book is he was in Chicago. He meets a young man. And there's a raid on their shanty town. The kid gets hit in the head by a rock and dies. Smoky is there when the kid dies. Mm-hmm. And that again, it's it's a little subversive. You don't expect to see that in this very happy little novel. No, there are bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. This is not an easy time to live in. So I, I kinda miss that story and I wish a little bit more of that was in the yeah, movie. I wish that the movie hadn't glossed over a lot of stuff. Yeah. And and but I really feel like it could have been two
0: very different movies mm-hmm. and it, it you know, then it would have told a different story. But it does it. It wants to be optimistic, it wants to talk about the about the importance of kindness to strangers, the importance of kindness to people who are less fortunate and you know, all of that stuff.
1: And that's, Fine. Yeah. There is this one line, and it stuck out to me the first time I read the novel. And it, I was waiting for it the second time because it, it was such an odd line where Smokey Lonesome talks about, you know, the first time you piss off a railroad car, you're never going back. Mm-hmm. And the need to wander. The Wanderlust. Yeah. But it's such an odd sort of phrase. It stuck out to me, especially with the rest of this being such a feminine sort of novel. <laughs> and we all know it's harder for women to piss off the side of a boxcar. But, but not impossible, Kalia. <laughs> not impossible. <laughs> Just. Gotta do your exercises.
0: Send those emails to Pages and popcorn <laughs> Podcast and Attention Jennifer uh, for all those wishing to give advice on how to properly piss off the side of a box. Car. Okay, so
1: any other thoughts other than pissing? Nope. Lesbian Love is real love if you are reading the book.
0: That's right. Because if you're watching the movie, you might miss it completely. Okay, so was this book worth your time? I say the book. Yes, all in caps, and the movie, sure, fine, but only if you're not going to read the book, because the book is so much better that after you've read the book, when you see the movie, you go... Good God, they missed a lot, and I really wish that I had not wasted these two hours of my life when I could have been doing something better, because I got the best parts
1: of the story by reading the book. I think the movie was cute, but it was very much a movie of its time. You don't hear it referenced very often. It's not replayed a lot. It hasn't really hit that classical canon.
0: Yep. So, for me, this is the epitome of the movie was fine, and the book is way better. So... And they- but, I have a final thought, a final takeaway. This is my big life lesson that I got from this book and this movie. Are you ready for it? Go. Don't play near the railroad tracks. Don't play near the railroad tracks or you're liable to die or have your arm cut off or, all, or maybe you get hit in the head by a can of pasta or soup that's been thrown off by a well-meaning railroad
1: bill kind of person.
0: Yeah, and there's the whole
1: peeing off the railroad
0: yeah, yeah, you might get peed on. Seriously, don't <laughs> hang out by railroad tracks. Something bad <laughs> is bound to happen to you. Okay. I d- okay. <laughs> Pages and Popcorn Podcast was brought to you today by Southern Feminism and Coffee, always with the coffee. Check out our website at pagesandpopcornpodcast.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And yeah, I have nothing else to say, really. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all.